0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, Doing More With Less, Episode 0, Basic Principles, for April 1st, 2010. Uh,
1: To start off today, we want to uh, just give the purpose of this podcast, and uh, we want to highlight the strategic and effective use of free, open source, uh, and commercial software uh, to do more with less in the K-12 educational environment.
0: And as we talk about free and open, we're not going to be too hung up on the philosophy of open source. There's plenty of opportunities for you to get that sort of stuff out there. Uh, Here we're looking at open source as simply one tool in the arsenal. Uh, It's not a rallying cry. We're not engaged in a holy war. We're not zealots. We're not activists. We're just regular people trying to get by on a tight budget. Uh, We'll talk a little more about who we are in just a second, but uh, uh, the objectives of this podcast and the reason we call this episode zero is because we're just laying out who we are. this is our uh, audition for you do you want to listen to this podcast in the in the future this is where you find out Uh, so in the in the weeks to come we're going to be highlighting uh, people in the trenches who are who are exemplifying the tightwad tech mentality we're not going to just talk to you about theory we're not just going to be ethereal we're going to talk to uh, to you from our perspective and also we're going to have guests in who are actively doing this stuff it's not just going to be theory it's going to be people doing it all day every day
1: Right, right. And uh, we'll do that with uh, at least to start off bi-weekly episodes. Uh, so we'll try to have content that applies both to teachers and tech. So uh, if in this episode or in any episode you are maybe uh, we're focusing in on the technical side of things uh, and you're a teacher, uh, feel free. Come back next week and uh, almost assuredly we'll have something for you. We're going to try not to stay on one side of the fence or the other. So uh, that's what we will aspire to do. Uh, At this time, I'll go ahead and throw it over to uh, my co-host Mark uh, for uh, some bios. Let's find out a little bit about you, Mark.
0: My name is Mark Cockrell, and uh, I have been a computer professional since uh, about 1994. I've been doing this for a while now. Uh, I've been a network administrator since 1997, so I'm going on 14 years or so in that role. Uh, I've been uh, a Linux user since about 2010. Um, excuse me, since about 2000. That's, uh, yeah, wow. 2010 is not very yeah. long. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never really thought about that. I've been using Linux every day for a decade now. Suddenly I feel very old. Um but I've been an open source advocate um, uh, for the last several years. I, I'm a speaker. I'm a trainer. I'm a consultant. And uh, yeah, I'm not uh, applying for a job here. I Just uh, letting you know that uh, w- within the realm of this podcast, I'm going to be sort of taking on the role of the expert. I'm the tech weenie. I'm the geek. I'm the, the, uh, the, the nerd. And uh, Sean, well, we're all nerds, let's face it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a nerd. Uh, but Sean over there, he is... Uh, Uh, the noob, uh, and he's going to look at things from that perspective.
1: Uh, That's right. So uh, I'll introduce myself, and I'm Sean Keibel. Uh, I have been a tech professional uh, for all of uh, not quite two years now, since 2008. Uh, Previously worked in the finance world, so uh, coming into uh, tech, I did definitely have an affinity for it, but uh, was, like you said, a a noob, and I, I still would say that i am so there are
0: a lot of former finance people who are in other jobs right now that's right so that's exactly one of them
1: yeah definitely uh, part of that fallout uh, uh before that i was a novice web designer i just uh, played around with that so i definitely uh was drawn to that kind of work and uh even currently now i'm working uh towards uh, becoming a programmer and so i'm an a- aspiring programmer and uh learning all about that world which is interesting Uh, As far as my role in the show, uh, again, I'll be the noob. I'm going to try to bridge the gap between uh, the expert guys like uh, Mark and uh, probably many of our guests and uh, and the non-technical users. So uh, I will do my best to do that. I I hope I can accomplish that and uh, bring some of the uh, loftier subjects uh, down to earth uh, for our less technical users. Uh, I'm also an open source advocate. Uh, I've been using open source for a long time pretty much just stumbled upon it on uh, on my own and uh, i love it i love the idea of it uh if it's uh, open free or cheap uh then i love it so uh uh, maybe this would be a good time to go ahead and uh, give it back over to mark and let's talk about open free and cheap
0: all right and uh you know this podcast we call it the tightwad tech that wasn't by mistake uh you're talking to a couple of guys here who uh Uh, every day uh, we both work for a small uh, rural school district and every day we're tasked with the job just like the uh, the byline of the podcast says of doing more with less and uh, I think most people in education uh, are either finding themselves in that boat or soon will as um, our responsibilities uh, increase the things we're expected to do grow and our budgets decrease at the same time we're constantly on a um a quest uh often a forced quest we don't have an option uh, to do more with less and uh, so uh, one of the things that most people turn to when they're when they're looking at that is free software and basically in the world of the free software there's two types there's free software and there's open source software and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the distinctions between that. There's the sort of no-cost-free, meaning it doesn't cost me anything, and then there's the no-restrictions-free, as in um, I'm not limited in what I can do. Uh, the, the classic open-source guys uh, will use the, the analogy as, as the free as in beer or free as in speech. Uh, I can give you a free beer. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free to you. Or I can give you the right to speak freely, uh, which may in fact cost somebody somewhere dearly uh, but it's uh, while it's not a no cost thing, it's no restrictions, and uh, so some examples would be um, some of the Microsoft off- offerings. Let's say uh, Photo Story, which is a great digital storytelling ap- uh, application, um, is free. It doesn't cost anything. It is no cost free, but it's not no restrictions free. You can't modify it. You can't sell it. You can't take photo story and, and, and make it as your own. You can't mix it up. You can't use it as part of something else. Um, it's just something that's free to use, but not necessarily free to make use of, uh, if that's a, a, a distinction that even makes any sense. So let's talk about, uh, how, how that would work in, um, uh, in the real world. Let's say a, a car, you take your car, you can buy your car. All right. Uh, I can go down to, uh, car dealership and buy a brand new Ford Mustang and it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. I can uh, I can paint it any color I want. I can pimp it out any way I want to. I can put the uh, wide rims on it and the flat tires and the big boom box in the back and, and the, the the dingleberries hanging from the, the dashboard. I can do whatever I want. It's my car. I can do whatever I want. Nobody can tell me what I can't do with that car because it's mine. Now let's say I lease that exact same car. Now, I call that my car, and I'm going to drive around, and I'm going to show off my car, but it's not my car. I've just got it for a little while. Right. I can't paint it. I can't modify it. I can't do anything to it. In fact, the, the terms of the lease will tell me how far I can drive it and for how long I can drive it. If it's a three-year lease, at the end of three years, I've got to give that sucker back, and it better be in pretty good shape when I do give it back. And they're going to check how many miles I drove that thing. They're going to say, hey, you you're, you agreed to drive 10,000 miles a year, and you drove 15,000 miles a year, and there's going to be a penalty for that. So, Things that are free as in cost often incur penalties for misuse of it. Things that are free as in restrictions, uh, there are no such penalties because there are no restrictions. And so uh, that's the difference between the free and the open source. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what open source is. There's essentially... Uh, well, there are a lot of different open-source licenses out there. Some I can think of off the top of my head. There's the the GPL. That's probably the biggest one, the GNU public license. There's the uh, MIT license. There's the BSD license. There's the Apache Software Foundation license. There's all these variations out there. But in order to be called open-source, they all basically have a handful of traits that are the same. And what's common to all of them is that they allow for free rest- redistribution. So if I make a piece of software and I call it open source, I'm giving anybody who who wants to the permission to redistribute that. They can take it. They can give it away. They can sell it if they want to, um, and, and it's theirs to do with as they please. Um, and it requires the availability of the source code. When you, for example, let's go back to to Photo Story, uh, I can't see the code. That wouldn't matter much because I'm not a programmer, but let's say I was. I can't see the code. I can't open it up. I can't say, you know, I'd like this menu to be a little bigger here, and I don't really need that button. Let's get rid of that. I can't do that. It's compiled. All I get is the program. And uh, with open source, however, the code has to be made available. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to give it to you. That means uh, that if you ask for it, it has to be made available. They have to tell you where you can go to get it. Uh, and then it allows for free modifications and derivations. So like I said earlier, I, I can take that thing and I can modify it uh, to suit my needs and I can derive something from it. I can take something, um, the good parts of it, and I can combine that with the good parts of something else and make something entirely new. And these are all things that uh, are inherent in uh, in pretty much all, well, I'm, I'm not going to say pretty much, in all of the open source. And in, in order to meet the uh, the open source criterion, those are sort of things that you have to be able to do. You have to be able to distribute it f- freely. You have to be able to, to view the source code. You have to be able to modify and make der- derivative works of it. Um, and you have to, to uh, and the licenses have to be perpetual. Uh, for example, if I make a derivative work of it, I can't close source the derivative work because I used... Um, open source products in it. Uh, this is all kind of dry here, and, and you're just gonna have to bear with me. But if I take something that's open, I can't close it and sell it because it was once open. That's not how it works. You can't unopen source something. It's you can't put the genie back in the bottle.
1: Well, and uh, if if I can jump in here too, that that makes me think about um, the communities that surround the open source, and uh, that's kind of a you know it seems to protect the open source communities uh, where it's open, it's guaranteed to be open. That kind of draws people in, I would think.
0: Yeah, and and generally any open source product um, is going to have a community around it uh, for a lot of of very good reasons. If if I'm a, a programmer working on a project, and it's just a um, hobby project, and I get bored with that or tired of it, and I just don't want to mess with it anymore, I'm probably going to let that drop. Now, let's say I'm a coder and I work for Microsoft there out in Redmond. If I get tired of working on Office 2000 and just don't feel like it, no one cares. It's my job. I'm paid to work on it. It's That's why they call it work. You know, I, I go meet at the bar afterwards and complain about work, right? That's what work is, and it's drudgery, and that's why people are paid. That's why there are professional programmers, because it's not always fun. <clears throat> so community helps uh, offset that sort of stuff. Uh, What I may not think will be fun, somebody else does. And so in a community environment, uh, people pick up each other's slack and learn from each other and grow from each other. And pretty much any open source product that's worth anything is going to attract a community of users. Uh, Linux itself being a great example of that. Linux is the core of a, of a lot of different operating systems out there. And there's one guy in charge of it, Linus Torvalds, is is sort of the Linux guy. He, he maintains the cor- kernel, but lots and lots and lots of people do work on it. And there's a community around it and a discussion about it. And they argue and they fight and they they the the good ideas bubble to the top and then he takes those good ideas and incorporates them. They call that committing changes to the to the final product. And so, uh, community is a very important part of open source. And another reason is because uh, your community is often your support. So, if I buy something again uh, to, to pick on Microsoft, if I buy Office. There is some uh, inherent support in that. I expect uh, uh, to be able to make a call to somebody and and often businesses do, will pay uh, large amounts of money to have these support contracts, these professional sort of contracts. In the open source world, you don't always have that. Sometimes you do, but you don't always have that 800 number you can call. And so your community becomes your 800 number. So they're not only working on the code, but they're also supporting the code. Uh, Mark, that
1: brings up another good point, I think, is that uh, with open source, if there's a requested, let's say, new feature, because I know Microsoft will push out fixes, right? If there's a problem with Word or uh, another Microsoft product, they'll push out fixes, but uh, usually not new features, right? But you you do see some of that in, in the open source world where you've got uh, you know, uh, a whole community of programmers working on something, and they can actually come out with a new feature. And it seems to me that uh, open source projects are uh, they they morph uh, more frequently. They tend to be
0: more agile than closed source, and, and and yeah, that's the nature of it. Um, they can also get stagnant for the same reasons. If, if there's nobody in the community with any great ideas, uh, sometimes they, they get pretty stagnant. That's why most, uh, open source products, projects really, um, uh, covet their communities. They take care of their communities. They, they, they grow their communities. In fact, uh, the Ubuntu, um, uh, Linux distribution has a guy. His name's is John O'Bacon. He is their community director. That's his whole job is to make the community happy and make it work and to take these uh, disparate ideas. He's sort of the HR manager, I suppose, for that company. Um, and just a, a side story that just occurred to me uh, to talk about how the, the support works. And, and sometimes that's a pretty cool thing. Um, here at uh, where I work at my school, uh, several years ago, We were running a Linux uh, operating system, and this machine was uh, acting as our active directory domain, our primary authentication server. Basically, any time you wanted to check in a password or whatever, uh, this machine was the one that handled it. And literally, the day before school started, it blew up. Uh,
1: of course that's, yeah. the, that's the day it's going to happen and
0: and and I was at a loss I I had done everything I could do and so I sent out an email to uh, a a nationwide list I'm on and said look, here's here's the problem I'm having I'm using this package here and it's not working right within a couple of hours the developer of that package had contacted me and said hey I hear you are having some trouble with this thing that I wrote And so uh, we, over the internet, uh, communicated, and he actually remoted into my system, and the guy who designed the system fixed it for me. And you're not going to get that. You're not going to call up Redmond and get the guy who designed the start menu to, uh, to help fix your problem with it. That's never going to happen. But in the open source world, that wasn't even an unusual thing. That's, that's a fairly common occurrence. And uh, I don't know the guy. And I don't re- even remember his name. Uh, and I know he doesn't remember mine. But it was just all in a day's work. It was something he was passionate about. And somebody had a problem with it. And he felt a sense of responsibility toward it. So he helped me. Uh, fix that, and that, uh, in my opinion, is one of the coolest things about the open source community. Is uh, you know you, you hear all the time well, who am I going to call? Where's my eight hundred number? It's out there. It's just an IRC channel instead of an eight hundred number. Uh,
1: okay, so we've we've talked a little bit about the philosophy of open source. Um, uh, you know, some of the ideas that are that revolve around that, the communities that revolve around that. Uh, but other than the philosophical. Uh, to the end user does open matter does open matter versus free uh down there to the teacher in the classroom or just the regular end user you know on a computer at home uh does it matter if it's open or free
0: You know, I started off by saying that uh, people often use the the open source and and freeware interchangeably, and and so I corrected that, right? So now we know what open source is, and now we know what freeware is. And then, of course, the question here is, does that matter? And I think for the most people, the the resounding answer is no. It doesn't matter. Uh, What matters is, can it do the job, and can I afford it?
1: Right, right. And we've applied that here uh, extensively, uh, and that's why we use that word uh, strategic right
0: right however there are some distinct advantages to using open source uh, that uh, are not necessarily inherent in the free thing so when you when you talk about uh, does it matter if it's open or free now if I've got two products um, that do essentially the same job and one is open and one is free I'm going to pick the open one uh, and, and for a couple of reasons and one of those reasons being the ability to modify the program.
1: Yeah, and I can definitely see that, uh, especially I, I think in the school environments I see where a lot of school districts like to personalize uh, those the software experience. So uh, whether it be uh, their website and they're maybe using a, a Joomla website or whatever website they're using, they like to personalize those things. So that can just be as far as skinning goes. But also uh, on the back end, uh, being able to dig down into the code and... Uh, Websites jump to mind, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm, I've actually done that and played around in in web code, and uh, it's fairly easy to manipulate. and uh, I see that a lot more. Uh, in school districts. And
0: let's say you're not that guy. You're not the one who's going to manipulate the code and make changes. But if you're um, a tech director for a school district and you've got a decision to make between something that's, that's something that's just a freeware and something that is open source, let's say you, you want to make a change. You, you're you not a programmer. You don't have a guy on staff that is a programmer. You can probably hire a programmer for less than the cost of of a commercial suite to do what you need to do.
1: Well, and what's nice about that is then I do that and uh, in an educational environment where we're not really uh, like a corporate environment, we're not necessarily competitive is uh, if I do that, and it's a great fix, it's a great upgrade, I can pass that along to my buddy at XYZ School
0: District, right? that's where the beauty of the redistribution comes in once you make the change say uh, let's say I've got a a decision to make and in fact I'm facing one of these coming up and we'll, we'll talk about this more in a later episode there's a product that I really like that doesn't work with with Windows 7. And right now, all of our machines are, are Windows XP. And we're using this thing every day on these XP machines. Now, at some point, we're going to be forced to move to Windows 7 or, or as slow as we are to move. It may be Windows 9 by then. But at some point, <laughs> uh, we're going to be, uh, have to upgrade. And so what, what is my choice now? Uh, do, I, do I dump this thing that I never use? Uh, I'm excuse me that I use every day, um, and go find something commercial, or do I hire somebody to fix the thing I like? And let's say the 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 license for the replacement is going to cost me five thousand uh, dollars for the first year. Why not hire a programmer, pay him five thousand dollars to fix it the way I like it? Keep using the product I like, and then everybody benefits. I uh, we uh, uh, send that upstream back to the uh, uh, the original community, and everybody gets the benefit out of my $5,000.
1: Right, and not uh, everybody out there having to spend the same $5,000 to try to accomplish the same thing.
0: So in that respect, the question is asked, does free and open matter? Yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't, and the, the strategic part is knowing the difference, knowing what works for you, knowing when it's important for your entity, for your organization, um, and for your goals. And so those are the sort of things that we're going to talk about uh, throughout the course of this uh this podcast we uh, uh We're excited about it because uh, these are things that we talk about all the time anyway when we're sitting uh, around the lunch table or whatever, and so we're just going to have those conversations and hit the record button and see if anybody cares
1: right, right and uh i mean we're we're very proud of what we've managed to accomplish around here on a shoestring budget and hopefully we can pass that on to some other people.
0: Right. And we're going to talk to, like I said earlier, other people who are doing the same thing so that if, if there's nothing else you get from this podcast, if you're uh, uh, sort of auditioning us here and trying to decide, you know, here, this episode zero, do I care about episode one? um, The thing that I want you to remember is this is going to be real people talking about what they really do. And it's not going to be hypothetical or theoretical.
1: Right. And we have, uh, we're, both tapped into a pretty extensive community as far as that's uh, concerned.
0: And uh, and one of the f- recurring features that we're going to try to do is uh, we're going to have every week, we're going to have a couple of tips of the week. We're going to have a teacher tip of the week, and we're going to have a tech tip of the week. And so uh, let's move right on to that. The teacher tip of the week this week is a, a, a service, a website, whatever you want to call it, called Doc. DocCop.com, D-O-C-C-O-P.com. And uh, what DocCop.com is, is it's a plagiarism uh, and collusion detection tool, according to their website. It creates reports displaying the correlation and matches between documents and a document on the web. What that means is... A uh, student hands in his paper. You look at it and think, Johnny's never written this well in his life. <laughs> so you run that through. And by the way, I have a friend named John who hates it when Johnny is always the, the bad guy. All right. So let's say Timmy. Timmy's never written this well in his life. So Horrible you, Timmy. So you take Timmy's paper and you feed it into Doc Cop. Uh You simply upload it. You, you have to create an account, uh, but it's a free account to create. Uh, not open source as far as I know, but a free service. And so you create your free account, you upload uh, little Timmy's document, and it's going to scour the web and look for commonalities. And he's going to find, uh, he's going to look for something. If, if he lifted that sucker right off of Wikipedia or right after, off of Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever, it's going to show you that. And it's, it gives you a nice report that shows this is what little Timmy wrote. Uh, this is what the New York Times columnist wrote. I think maybe you might, might want to have a talk with Timmy about it. And uh, some of our teachers here at our school have tried it. They actually had kids uh, create works that were blatant ripoffs. And, uh, and, you know, intentionally, uh, and hand, uh, ran it through that sucker, and it found not only that it was plagiarized but pointed directly to the articles that they had plagiarized to create it. So it's a great little tool uh, for those of, us, those of you out there who have students who are not always trustworthy. I know that doesn't happen at our school. All of our students are trustworthy 100% of the time. Absolutely. But I've heard rumors that uh, other schools have a problem with that, and so that's <laughs> where Doc Cop comes in. Once again, that's DocCop, dot pcom
1: and if you'll look at their website, uh, you'll see that it's a top 100 apps for teachers. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious where that list resides never seen <laughs> that one before well
0: one of the things that i noticed i, I kind of glossed over it when i was reading the description there they use the word cryptomnesia cryptomnesia is one of those words that uh, like when when you you think you had an idea but you really didn't you just heard it like uh, if you're a musician and you write a song and you think dude i just wrote this song and then your best friend says um that's metallica's inner sandman you moron <laughs> okay that's cryptomnesia all right but i think that when somebody turns in the paper that says four score and seven years ago that that's not cryptomnesia. <laughs> um, but, you know, just in case it is, Doc Cop as you covered.
1: All right. Uh, and uh, I'll move on with the tech tip of the week. And uh, this one is kind of middle of the road. It's not really for the experts, and it's not really uh, necessarily for the teachers. Uh, it's for guys like me who are working as a tech. Uh, a problem that we had, or that I should say I had, uh, working in uh, just the daily course of business was having to install or change printers on a computer. Uh, one problem that we have is that we use a, a lockdown software very much like uh, what the Deep Freeze, uh,
0: uh Ours is called Cornerstone. I'll go ahead and yep. put that out there. there. It's uh, the company's Centurion Technologies, and no, they don't pay us for that, but I just really believe in their product. Yeah, in great. fact, it's, it's kind of the other way around. I'm going to have to renew my license for it, so I'm paying them for the privilege of hawking their wares on on a podcast. Uh, but, yeah, what it does is, is it uh, sets everything at a pristine state. When you reboot, it comes right back to that state which right. is great for uh, you know, uh, the, the, the purposes of not hosing your machine. They, they're not going to get viruses. and not going to get messed up. And if they do, you just reboot them. So that's wonderful for us, but it does present some problems.
1: Correct, because uh, whenever you need to do some sort of a global change or a permanent change to those machines, now what you have to do is you've got to go through a few extra steps. You've got to go in, unlock that machine, reboot that machine, apply your changes and that's uh, installing software or installing printers, doing whatever change that you need to uh, permanently take place on that machine. And
0: printers are particularly nasty because they're like a per user sort of thing or instead of a per computer thing. And so you've got to modify the default user profile and copy that all over there. And it gets to be a real pain. Right. Right. Because Sean knows all too well because he's the one who has to do it at our school.
1: Right. That's part of my daily life. Right. And, uh, Obviously, with uh, all the students that are touching the machines, we don't have a a locally saved profile for every student, so they just inherit that default profile. Uh, so what you have to be able to do is get those printer settings into the default profile. Well, I can't log in as default, so I have to log in as myself, install the printers, and then move those over, migrate them over to the uh, default profile. Uh, that's that's time-consuming it's extra steps uh, really just a pain in the neck then of course you lock the computer back down well uh, with this uh, tech tip of the week which is the Allegus Print Installer and you can find them at www.allegus.com uh, Allegus Print Installer is really just a very simple kind of click-and-you-have-it and print installation So what you'll do is, uh, or in our case, we would unlock the computers, and you pull up Alligus Print Installer. It's going to have a dual-pane setup. So on your left side, you've got, uh, it it will search your entire network, and it's going to find anything that's acting as a print server. Uh, In our case, we do have a central print server that handles most of our printing, but also any computer that has a printer connected to it. Uh, So it's going to pull all of the print servers up on the left-hand side, Then it's going to search your network and discover all of the computers, all the machines on your network. And it's as simple as checking a box on the left side for a printer that you might want to install and checking a box on the right side. And you can install any number of printers to any number of computers. So I could say I want to install two, three printers here on the left side to 10, 20, 30, 40, however many computers on the right-hand side. And there's even an
0: every computer button, right? Correct.
1: Select all. And uh, so I could literally go in and add a printer to every computer on the network. And once you've made those selections, you just hit go. And it just does it. And it will it will go through its process. And it comes back and says, hey, I'm done. I've installed these printers. What's great is those printers are installed across every profile on that computer so if it's a case of a unlocked machine where we do have maybe multiple teachers uh that have already logged in on that computer and have profiles then they're going to get those printers as well and it's totally
0: transparent to the end user they just look down and say oh i've got a new printer
1: yeah all of a sudden it's there uh no rebooting uh it's just it's it's really beautiful so it saved me a ton of time it's one of those things that was just a pain in the neck I'm glad, you know, I I almost cried when I found this one.
0: He didn't almost cry, people. He did cry. This this big, bald, former Marine broke down in my office in tears. uh, (laughs) I have a soft heart.
1: (laughs) That happens when you have daughters, right? Uh, So, uh, Allegus.com, definitely check them out. They've got some other products up there as far as uh, they seem to really... Uh, focus in on printing management and uh, they have uh, other free softwares and then uh, some other ones that are relatively look like they're cheap uh, and uh, could benefit anybody out there. Uh, So com. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Mark, what do you think?
0: Well, that covers our tips of the week and everything we wanted to discuss. And so uh, uh, we hope you've appreciated our um, our resume, our job application. We hope we'll come back next, uh, next time for uh, uh, episode number one.
1: That's right. And episode number one, uh, tune in. We will uh, – we're going to go ahead and release that April 15th, and that will be Moodle Part 1. Uh, if you don't know about Moodle, Moodle is a big topic. It's a lot to cover, so we're going to actually cover that in two parts. So next episode will be Moodle Part 1, The Tech Perspective.
0: And if uh, you need more information about that or if you want to find out some more about us or how to contact us or if you've got an idea for a show, uh, feel free to let us know. Find us over there uh, over on our website at the Tech excuse me, the com, And I, I, you got to stress the the there because, believe it or not, somebody already has tightwadtech.com. So we are thetightwadtech.com. Uh, so find that out. You can get more information. Uh, you'll have uh, show notes for these shows uh, as well as upcoming shows, uh, opportunities for you to uh, uh, give us feedback. We want to know how we're doing. Uh, we work for you, and so you get to tell us uh, what you want to see and how well we're doing.
1: That's right. That's right, Mark. Well, uh, it's been a great show, and I guess we'll uh, we'll do it again here shortly.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of the Tidewad Tech.